Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, uh, what we just read is, is how we read how one is saved, how a person who is naturally minded be transformed into a spiritually minded person. And that method, Lord, is your Holy Spirit testifying uh, to your truth, testifying the mind of God to us. Father, what this, these verses clearly show is that human beings cannot be transformed, cannot see the Lord of glory un- unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. It is not certainly up to my eloquence. It is not in my preparation. It is not, in my, it is not even my delivery that, con- that, that you use to convince us here, but it is you using these things to testify yourself to our hearts. So we pray for that mighty testimony here this morning. Father, be glorified, be revealed, be praised, be loved, be feared this morning. All these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we are continuing our study in 1 Corinthians. And as we, and I mean, as we study for the last few weeks or so, the reason why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians is because people, tr- Christians in the church of Corinth are fighting, right? And they are, you know, and they do all sorts of things that they should not be doing. They're, they're exhibiting signs of an unhealthy church. What are the signs of an unhealthy church? Division, right? Sexual morality, spiritual pride, gossip, slander, suing each other, you name it, they did it. So it is an unhealthy church. And Paul is writing this letter to instruct them, for them to repent, for them to be rebuilt. But the interesting thing, as, we talk, as we've seen in chapter 1 and chapter 2, is the way that Paul instructs these people who are unhealthy. Once again, it's not just straightly dealing with their issues directly, but he is reminding them right, of their salvation. He's reminding them of what, had, what God has done for them. In fact, in chapter 2, all of chapter 2 is about Paul there's reminding the Corinthians their origin story, how they became a Christian. It's interesting. If you have a problem, you would deal with their problem. But Paul doesn't do that. He reminds, he t- he reminds them of their origin story. Why is that? I think he reminds them of their origin story to remind them of the power of God that was demonstrated amongst their midst. You see, if you are reminded, and if you are convinced, and if you are convicted of the power of God, simply put, if God, is becoming, if God becomes more real and more clear in your mind, then these sins that we engage in, they just kind of disappear. It really is strange. The bigger, the clearer God, is, it, God becomes in our heads, the sins that bother us, the things that divide us, they naturally kind of melt away. You know, and, and I see this in the Korean community, right? Like, the Korean community, we're really big on revival. Revivals, right? Like, every season, you know, there's, like, revivals happening all the Korean churches around. And I see this over and over again. Like, when husband and wife, when they're fighting, they go to the revival, and they, like, you know, what, how do the Koreans say it? They receive the Holy Spirit, Right? And, like, God becomes, like, clear and big. And what, if, what always happens when both husband and wife receive the Holy Spirit through those meetings is their marriages become better. It wasn't because those revivals deal directly with their marriage issues. No. 
but when simply when people experience God, it just nat- everything naturally becomes orderly. Paul is reminding the Corinthians of the greatness of God by telling them their origin story of how they became a Christian. How did the Corinthians become Christians? How did you become a Christian? We became Christians through the power, supernatural power of God. If you are a Christian, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit got involved in your life. He, they worked in you, they worked around you, so that you will be born again. It is nothing short of a miracle that we are Christians. We need to have this proper understanding of our origin stories. Because if we have a weak understanding of our origin stories, our faith will be weak. In my old company, I had a buddy who was a Muslim. I think I t- talked to you about him. So I had lunch with him. He said he's a Muslim. He's, he goes to mosque once in a while. And I said, hey, man, it's Ramadan. Are you going to fast? He says, nope. Hey, like, are you gonna, do you eat pork? He says, yep. Do you read the Quran? Nope. Are you, an, are you a Muslim? Yep. I go, how is that so? Oh, he says, oh, you know, I'm cult- I was raised Muslim. Right? I identify, culturally identify as Muslim, but I don't really do the things that Muslims should do. His faith is irrelevant to him. How do you know? He had marital issues, and he came to seek the advice of a Christian pastor. His faith is irrelevant to him. Because his, in his mind, his origin story is weak. He's a Muslim simply because he was raised that way. I see a lot of this in Christians, too. A lot of the Christians, their faith is almost non-existent. And if you, if you go to a, a, for a person who supposedly are Christian and examine why they think they're a Christian, they'll give you a weak origin story. They'll say, you know, I'm a Christian because, you know, I was, you know my parents lived at church right, when I was growing up. I had nothing better to do on a Friday as so I went to youth group. Youth group, you know, youth pastor was kind of cool. We, I had a lot, right? I had like rotation of youth pastors. But, you know, they took me out. We had our own service. Just, you know, we told funny stories. You know, I grew up, and now I'm here. People with weak, non-existent faith life have a very little understanding of why they're Christian. If you are Christian, oh, my Lord. It is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit demonstrating their power in you. They didn't leave you. God didn't leave you be. Out of his great love for you, he made you his. When the Corinthians starts to see this, when the Corinthians seems to start to understand that they are who they are because of God's grace, this understanding will naturally flow into them being reconciled to one another. How do you become a better husband? How do you become a better wife? How do you become a better worker? How do you become a better parent? Oh, remember the power of God that was demonstrated in you in order for you to become a Christian.
You did not become a Christian on your own. If you're a Christian, you did not become a Christian on your own. If you think you became a Christian simply because you were raised in the church, you are dead wrong. The thing that really annoys me, bothers me about the Korean faith is Korean people believe there's this thing called like, what's Moteshina? I was like, I had faith even when I was in my mom's belly. We really believe that, right? People who are born, like, like had Christian parents, like, like they, their parents came to church when they were in the mom's belly, and they knew nothing else. And people say that's their faith. I was, I had faith because ever since I was in my mom's womb, I went to church. That faith, as valuable as being raised in the church is, it's not the faith that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 2. No one becomes a Christian naturally. People become Christians through the power of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul talks about how one becomes a Christian. And the first way that the, that person becomes a Christian is that person receives the wisdom of God. You are a Christian because you receive the wisdom of God. Paul in, in uh, where is it, in verse 6 tells that there are two, verse 6 and 7 tells that there are two types of wisdom in the world, right? Is the wisdom of this age, right? And the wisdom of God. In verse 6 and 7, Paul talks about two different types of wisdom. The wisdom of the age and the wisdom of God. So what does Paul mean when he says the wisdom of the age? It means, you know, the thought, philosophies, values, the people of every age have. Every people, human beings for all ages, through, in all societies, had an underlying powerful philosophy values that dictated how people live. That's the wisdom of the age. And the Greeks, where the, Corinthians is, where the church of Corinth is located, the Greeks were all about philosophy. Greece is the birthplace of philosophy. Plato, Aristotle, Epicurus, the, you know, Pythagoras, like all these guys with big names, right? They devised amazing philosophies. Like Greece was the birthplace of philosophy. Greece, if there's anywhere in the world that has a spirit of the age, that will be Greece. And people have very interesting philosophies what life was about. For example, um, one of the popular philosophies during Paul's time was Stoicism. Stoicism is this. I think a lot of the men will like this. So, so, Stoicism teaches that the development of self-control and fortitude as a means of overcoming destructive emotions. So the Stoics believe in this. The most important thing is to be clear-headed, to be logical, to be emotionless. Emotions get in the way of pure logic, right, and pure happiness. Therefore, you need to be most clear-headed, like, you know, clear thinking as possible. If there is pain in your life, you need to suck it up, right, and think of the big picture. If your arm gets chopped off, you need to say, oh, my arms hurt, but at least I'm alive. Oh, like if, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're suffering greatly, you go, oh, this is suffering. It's all in my emotions. I, I, I shouldn't feel this. Even though I am suffering, there's a greater picture of what life is. So I need to suck it up. So Stoics believed no emotion, all logic. 
Star Trek, Star Trek fans anymore? Spock? Sean knows what I'm talking about. No, data? Sean's data. Data, all logic, no emotion. And that was very popular in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in, in Athens. Philosophy of the age, stoicism. All logic, suck it up. Another very popular philosophy of the age during the time was Epicureanism. Epicureans argued that pleasure was the chief goal of life. Right? Enjoying oneself is the chief goal of life. They, they're, not, they're not saying, you know, let's get drunk all the time and let's have sex with whoever we want. That's not what they're saying. He's saying, they're saying overindulging these things cause suffering, so you, sh you should be self-controlled about it. But the purpose of life is to moderately enjoy yourself. Being a workaholic, having no work-life balance is evil because you're not enjoying life. You should work 40 hours, go on vacations, take nice walks, you know, go to spa world, get a, get a mani-pedi. Does spa world do mani-pedis? I don't know. You know what I mean? Enjoy life. Life is to be enjoyed. That was a very popular philosophy in Paul's time. And these thoughts dictated and guided a lot of people in that age. That was the wisdom of the age. And it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? A little bit. It does. I mean, Epic I, look, I think a lot, a lot of us are Epicureanists, I think. A lot of us believe the chief goal of life really is really about enjoying ourselves. Work reasonably, but enjoy. Every age has a philosophy, has a wisdom that people live by. Even now, there's clear philosophy of the age. How do I know? Every time I talk to a millennial Pelerigo in DC, they have the same philosophy. Every single one of them is weird. What, what, what is the philosophy of my millennial paralegals? Subjective understanding is supreme. How I feel on the inside of my skin, that's the supreme value. The most evil value is telling me that how, I feeling, how I'm feeling is wrong. If you tell me how I'm feeling is wrong, you are an ogre, you are a judgmental religious fanatic, and you should be punished. What are the, what are the philosophy? I'm oh, not you guys. I, I love all millennials. So DC, right? Northern Virginia, Maryland, like young people love you. I'm a big fan. No one works in DC here, right? Okay, good. Oh, no, you millennial, hey, it's millennial, hey, <laughs> hey, millennial, <laughs> right, right, and what is another philosophy of the age, right, what's the philosophy of the age, um, human freedom is the ultimate value, another, another big, big wisdom of the age is education, science, technology will cure all human ills, if you just have enough science, if you have enough knowledge, if you have enough, I don't know, know how, if, you, if you know, if, if, if the society can cure the how-to, if, if, if they can just perfect the how-tos, then we will be without suffering. People are saying the reason why the world is a mess is because people are ignorant. And if you educate people with enough information, then they will be morally right people. That's people what, what they really believe in. If medicine will develop to the point where you don't have to die, 
So people believe medical, like education, science, and technology are the solution to, to human, human ills. People really believe in that. But to many people, these philosophies of the age, right, even they're all prevalent in Netflix and every rap song that you listen to. It's not as, to a lot of people, yeah, these philosophies of the age are, are around. But the philosophy that, that drives a lot of people, it maybe it's simply like Epicureanism. Life is about having a decent job, living in a decent house, being married to a decent person, raising decent kids, send them off to a decent college, have a decent retirement plan. That's what life is about. Certainly, that's a lot of that's the philosophy that governs a lot of people in Northern Virginia and Maryland. The philosophy of the age, Paul says, two things. Number one, it is obvious. If the wisdom of God is a mystery, the wisdom of the age is obvious. The obvious means people think the wisdom of the age, what they live by, is very reasonable, very practical, very real. The wisdom they live by, they think that's reality. And living like that is very practical and real and leads to real happiness. It's obvious wisdom of the age. But Paul says the wisdom of the age is not only obvious, but it is very temporary. Paul says the wisdom of the age and the rulers that govern through the wisdom of the age, they will eventually perish. What means is that things that we think life is about, things that we think is so practical, obvious, and real and sure, they're not going to last. The, 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 the dreams and the values and the, and, the, and the ideas of man, they will eventually perish, Paul says. And it's true, right? If your philosophy is having a decent career, decent house, decent kids, decent college, decent retirement plans, they will go away when you die. Very depressing. Like that, all the wisdom of the age, no matter how smart you think they are, all the lofty ideas of man will fade away. It will be nothing. The reason why people cannot see the wisdom of God is because the wisdom of the age seems more sure, right, and true. Paul talks about, so Paul says that's the wisdom of the age, but Paul, Paul says there's another wisdom, and that's the wisdom of God. Two things that Paul talks about the wisdom of God. Number one, the wisdom of God is eternal. In verse 7, it says, But we impart a secret hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So the wisdom of God, I'm going to do verse 7, existed throughout all eternity, and it existed before us, and it will exist after us. The wisdom of God is all for all eternity. The wisdom of God is true. And the second thing he talks about the wisdom of God in verse 7 is, it is secret and hidden means the wisdom of God doesn't come naturally to man. The wisdom of God is secret and hidden because man cannot comprehend it. 
what God says is true, what God says is eternal, what God says is good, these things, men and women do not naturally know it. It is secret, hidden. It must be revealed. Men cannot study the wisdom of God on their own to get, to get it. Men cannot, you know, do a lot of things to earn it. They can't. Like Buddhists, for example, right? Buddhists, for example, believe, you know, if you practice the Buddhist, Buddha's teaching, then that will earn you nirvana. You'll be one with the universe. As long as you live a certain way in the world, listening to Buddha's teaching, practicing Buddha's teaching, that you will one day reach nirvana. You can get there. But Paul is saying, no, no, no. You cannot reach nirvana or any heightened state of consciousness on your own. It is hidden. It must be revealed. Now the question is, what exactly does Paul mean when he says the wisdom of God? All of us think we know what the wisdom of God is. But we must know from the text what Paul means when he says the wisdom of God. Small group leaders, this is very important. When you're preparing for a small group this Friday, you'll be tempted to define the wisdom of God on your own. You shouldn't do that. You should define the wisdom of God as what is revealed in the text. The wisdom, what is the wisdom of God that is revealed in the text? The wisdom of God, Paul says, is Jesus Christ as a crucified Lord of glory. The truth beyond all truth, the truth that is eternal, the truth doesn't change, is Jesus Christ as the Lord of glory who was crucified for his people. That's what Paul means in, in, in Corinthians chapter 2, what the wisdom of God is. Once again, the wisdom of God according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 is Jesus Christ as a Lord of glory who was crucified for, for his people. That's the secret wisdom that Paul talks about. You go, huh? What does that mean? Paul says, the secret to life is not the wisdom of man, decent kids, decent house, decent career, decent retirement, but secret to life, the wisdom of God is looking at Jesus Christ as the Lord of glory who was crucified for his people. That's the truth that's going to save you. Decent house, decent career. This seems more real, doesn't it? Jesus Christ is Lord of glory? How's that going to make a difference in my life? Huh? What, what does Paul mean when he says Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory? What does Paul mean by that? What is the glory of God? In order to know what the Lord of glory is, we've got to know what, the, what, what, what glory means. And I got this from John Piper. He's such a good guy, John Piper. He says, the glory of God. The glory of God is the display of God's holiness. Then what is God's holiness? God's holiness is his awesome, like perfect, above, above the rest characteristic. God's holiness is not just about his moral righteousness, 
But God's holiness means all his character that is above and beyond anything and everything in all creation. That's what God's holiness means. I'll give you an example. So we're made in the image of God, which means there are qualities that we have that points to God, right? Um, the fact that we can create. The fact that we can create. I love my family, you know, because I should, because they're my family. But one of the reasons why I love my family, should there be reasons why I love my family? Okay, let's, let's be reasons, right? Is they're so artistic, my wife and my daughter. Like, my, my home is filled with classical piano music all the time. Like, all the time. And when I listen to it, and, and, my, and it's my, my house is filled with classical music, and my daughter's drawings everywhere. You will not see it, because when you come over, I'll clean my house. But if I don't clean my house, it's music and drawing everywhere, my house. And my son's math and physics equations. All these things in my house point to God's holiness. Why? My, you know, the, my, my daughter can create, my wife can create music. Right? Because they're made in the image of God who is, of, of God who is, of the creator God. Right? Also, we're made in the image of God. I mean, not only do we create, we have a sense of right and wrong. Right? Every single one of us have a sense of right and wrong. How do you know when a dude cuts you off in traffic, you curse at him, you yell at him, you want him dead? That means that you have a sense of right and wrong. Right? Let's be honest. Your standard of right and wrong is puny, ignorant, and insignificant, but still, you have a sense of right and right wrong. You have a sense of justice. You have, a sense, you have a sense that you want evil to be vanquished. How do you know? Every Vin Diesel movie tells you you have a sense that you want evil to be vanquished, right? Every Marvel movie tells you that you have a need to see Thanos vanquished. Everything about you, point, it's, it's, it's that because you're made in his image. God's holiness means the things that you have, the qualities that you have, multiply that by infinity and perfection, and that's God's holiness. God is perfect. Holiness is God's perfect quality. Do you understand? That's what holiness is. Glory is a display of God's perfect qualities. Holiness is a list of God's perfect qualities, which is infinite and awesome and right. Glory is a display of God's holy qualities. Are you with me? Is it too confusing? This is like really theological boring stuff. Are you with me? Glory is God displaying his perfect qualities to the universe. Like I said, back to my, 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 my house, the classical music, right? The, my son's physics equations, my daughter's drawings all point to the fact that they're like that because God made them that way. Their music, their art, their physics, their, 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 their product all, all points to God's creative abilities. Glory is a display of who God is. The whole earth 
is filled with His glory. Every single thing about this earth is a display of God's creative power. You understand? Look, Psalm 103, what Pastor did, I was like reading it when I was praying yesterday. I was looking, and, and, and Psalm 103 says, We were made from dust. And I was looking at my hands. These were once dust. God made this out of dust. God made my cells out of dust. God made my neurons out of dust. God made my heart. And how many chambers do we have in our hearts? Four. God made four chambers of our hearts, right? He made, out of dust he made these things. Your physicality is a display of God's life-giving creative power. Praise the Lord. Glory is a display of God's magnificence. When Paul says Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory, he means Jesus Christ is the perfect display, perfect manifestation of God. When Paul says Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory, he says you don't don't need to look anywhere else to know who God is. Look at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ shows God's creative power. First Corinthians, like John chapter 1, in whom all things were created in him and through him and by him. Jesus Christ is the one who created all things. Jesus Christ is a display of God's creative power. Jesus Christ is the logos. He is the word. He is the reason. He is the, he is the logic behind everything in the universe. Jesus Christ is a display of God's righteousness. Jesus says, I have not come to this world to abolish the law of God. I have come to fulfill it. Which means everything, all of God's standard is embodied in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is embodiment of the judgment of God. The reason why he came into the world is is to, rather than God judging his people, he judges his son. The fact that he came to the world demonstrates God's judgment over sin. Yeah, if you think about it. The cross of Christ is the most offensive thing of all, right? Because what does the cross of Christ say? The cross of Christ is saying, in order to forgive you, God himself had to die. You are such a horrible person. I am such a horrible person that in order to restore and redeem me, God himself had to die. Jesus Christ is a display of God's judgment. Jesus Christ is a perfect display of of God's love. 1 John, he's a chapter 2. This is the definition of love. While we were sinners, Christ died. Him dying for us on the cross is the perfect display of God's love for us. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, is the perfect display. He's God himself. is a perfect display of who God is. Knowing that is the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ as a Lord of glory. Jesus Christ as, a, as the God who died for his people. He's the eternal wisdom that will save people. And you cannot get this wisdom on your own. It has to be revealed. 
this understanding of Jesus Christ as a Lord of glory, guys, it is absolutely foolishness to men. It is. To a practically minded person who believes in science, technology, you know, decent job, decent career, to such people who live like that, who live in the reality, they say, Jesus Christ as a Lord of glory being crucified for his people is absolute nonsense. Not only is it nonsense, it is very offensive. Paul, in verse 8, says, None of the rulers of this age understood this, this means the wisdom of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Lord of glory. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The rulers of the age that Paul talks about in verse 8 are the Jewish leaders, King Herod and the, and the, and, and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Roman governors and soldiers who killed Jesus. That's what Paul means when he says the rulers of this age. King Herod, the Jewish religious leaders, Pontius Pilate, these were all people of power and influence of Jesus' day. These people, when they looked at Christ, was very offended by him. So, they, so therefore, they had to kill him. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, is the wisdom of God, and that wisdom of God is either insignificant in the eyes of men, or it is offensive. And I'm sorry to say, as more I live, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the wisdom of God, as I'm afraid to say, is insignificant to many churchgoers that I know. Not y'all, you are great. But anyone outside of embrace, Jesus Christ, Lord of glory, is foolishness. How do I know? I know because I see what people are, what Christians, what Christians are focused on. Christians are focused on doing things for God. Doing ministry for God. Doing this for God, doing that for God. They're very practically minded, these Christians. They're also in love with doing things for him. I'm not sure they know the, the power of the gospel. They're so busy doing things for him. It's, doing things seems more real than believing the gospel. How else do I know? What are all the other signs that I know? That a lot of churchgoers do not understand Jesus Christ as Lord of glory. But me asking them how their spiritual lives are. I say, hey, how's your spiritual life? Well, not people of embrace, because people embrace are perfect, but people outside embrace will say, my Christian life is a struggle. It's hard. I'm trying. These are the words that they tell me. How's your faith? Well, it's a struggle. I'm trying, right? right? It's hard, right? I know I should do better. I know I should pray more. I should, like, so like, they give me like, the, the picture of Christianity that they give me when I ask them about their faith. It's like Christianity is like the worst vegetable in the world that you have to eat. It's like Christianity, they say, it's, like, it's, like a, it's a dreary, drudgery thing. I know I should do better. Oh, it's a struggle. Oh. 
I'm not diminishing people's struggle. I struggle too, let's be honest. But Christianity is not something to be dreaded or it's not, it's not something that, that, that is weary. It is something to be wowed. When you look at Jesus Christ as a Lord of glory, when you fully understand it, when you fully see it, you will be wowed. The fear of the Spirit is joy. You have joy. When you look at Jesus Christ as a Lord of glory, you fill with so much joy. Do you know? Is your Christian life filled with joy and wow? My Christian life is a struggle. Sometimes it's a struggle. Like the men in my life are not doing very well. My father and my son, they're not doing very well. Right? I am sleep deprived constantly. Right? Right? But in the midst of all the struggle, there is a joy. And there is a joy because I am wowed by God and Christ every morning, you know? Every time, everything, everything reminds me of Him. My children's art reminds me of Him. My job as a lawyer reminds me of Him. I think I'm a lawyer because, like, we have laws because Jesus Christ is the Logos. And because Jesus Christ is the Logos, there are laws in the universe. And human beings make laws to reflect the laws of the universe. I am doing the job as a lawyer because Christ made laws. I'm wowed by him when I look at my job. I'm wowed by him when I eat delicious food. The other day, I was like, there was a like, team lunch where all the lawyers went out. And we don't go to cheap. We don't go to Chipotle, buddy. You know what I mean? When when the firm is paying, we don't go to Chipotle, right? We need like we want to go to places where people wear jackets and ties. That's where we go. And I, when I ate this artichoke, I was wild. I was wild by the fact that God made artichokes. I was wild by the fact that there was a chef who could create this thing. This artichoke reminded me of Christ. When God reveals sin in me, my weakness in me, yes, I feel guilty, yes, I'm repentant, but I'm wowed by the fact that he forgave me. Yesterday I was watching like Korean drama, how I love Korean dramas, and I was like, I was like, crying. I didn't I go, am I crying? I was crying. And Charlotte says, well, Daddy, why are you crying? And I said, oh, because they love each other. I'm getting old then, right? They love each other. And, I, and my heart is moved when I see people loving each other. Because Christ loved me that way. Everything reminds me of Christ as a Lord of glory. Does it remind you? Listen, God's priority over your life is that you be wowed by Him. The reason why you read the Bible, the reason why you pray, the reason why you go to small groups, the reason why you do all these things is that through these things, God will wow you by revealing to you Jesus Christ as the Lord of glory. You cannot live the Christian life without, being, without this being revealed to you. Do you know? God is not someone who just gave you a set of directives and asked you to follow that. That is not God. 
God is saying, be wowed by Jesus Christ and the Lord of glory. As I was watching the Korean drama, man, I, like, once again, Korean drama reminds me of God. I think that's what heaven is like. All of us really like binging Netflix and stuff, right? And we like it because it's a story being unfolded. And I think well, that's what eternity is going to be. That's what heaven is going to be like. We will look at God's story being unfolded everywhere. You know how you like stream these like shows that are like nonsense, right? But like you like it because they unfold before you and you're wild by it. I think that's what eternity is. We, we see God's creation. We see God's love. We see the huge drama of God's perfection being unfolded in our eyes. And we will be wowed. Are you wowed by God? Are you wowed by the fact that He is the Lord of glory? Your Christianity is a drudgery. Because you don't see it. Do you understand? You need to see it. You need to see Jesus Christ as a Lord of glory, the wisdom of God. How do you do it? How do you see it? You can't see it on your own. That's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you cannot see it on your own. It has to be revealed to you. And who reveals it to you? The Holy Spirit reveals it to you. You cannot see Jesus Christ as the wisdom of God, as the Lord of glory, unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. What is the work of the Spirit that Paul talks about in, in these verses? Right? He says, let me go to my notes. That's what happens if you don't follow your notes. You get lost. Here we go. He says, first of all, the Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God. Right? That's what verse is that? Oh, verse 10. Verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the deep, even the depths of God. So what is the work of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God. Human beings don't search the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit does. For who knows a person's thoughts, verse 11, except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one can comprehend the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What is the second work of the Holy Spirit? Not, not only does he search the deep things of God, he knows the deep thoughts of God. He knows God's thoughts. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. The work of the Holy Spirit, not only does he searches the things of God, not only does he understand the thoughts of God, he reveals the thoughts of God to his people. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, is the deep thought, the mind of God. The Holy Spirit reveals it to us. You cannot understand Jesus Christ as the Lord of glory unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. As, pra- as great, I'm not great, but as, even, if I'm the, even if I'm the best speaker of the world, there is no way that I can, reveal, I can reveal Jesus Christ as the Lord of glory and for that to make sense to you. Only the Holy Spirit does it. 
What is the good news, though? The good news is that he will do it. The Holy Spirit is a person. And when we ask him, he will come and reveal these deep thoughts of God to you. God doesn't ask you to like, understand it on your own. He says, this is the Bible, try to figure it out on your own. That's not God. When you open up your Bibles and ask Him to reveal Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, Holy Spirit will come and He will reveal Himself to you. It's crazy. But it's true. Oh, a couple of things. I was at small group the other day, and I'm not going to reveal her name because I don't want to embarrass her. And during the small group, our conversation was, how do you know that built, your faith is built on the power of God and not the tradition of men? How do you know? I asked direct questions. I don't go around and go, how do you know that your, that your faith is not built on the traditions of men but on the power of God? A perfect answer is this. She says, I know because I know the gospel is true. How else will I know that the gospel is true unless the Holy Spirit revealed it to me? My millennial paralegals, God bless them, but they don't know Jesus. They don't know the gospel is true. The gospel is nonsense to them. Oh, but to my sister, she says, how do I know it's true unless God's power revealed it to me? And that is the right answer. I asked the same question to my wife yesterday. And I said, hey, uh, baby, I'm doing my sermon. And can I ask you, how, you, how do you know that you're a Christian? Usually she will yell at me. She says, how dare you question my faith, right? But she was in a generous mood yesterday. I said, hey, uh, how do you know that you're a Christian? She says, it's because, she says, I know Jesus Christ loved me and died for me. And this is not just a mere thing that I believe in. It is a thought that always occupies my mind. I go, good answer. How does the gospel always occupy my, the, my, 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 my wife's mind? Is it because she lives with me? No. I just work all the time, right? It is the power of God. It is the Holy Spirit revealing it to her. It is this thing coming true. The Holy Spirit does reveal Jesus Christ, Lord of glory to you. You are not called to figure it on your own. You can't figure it on your own. That's what Paul says. No mind has heard, no ears have heard, no eyes have seen. We can't figure it out on our own. It has to be given, and the Holy Spirit will give it to you. We can't give it, we can't, we can't give it, we we can't figure it on our own. Because, because, because we are all ones, because human beings are naturally minded. Right, that's what Paul talks about in verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. What, is, what, what does Paul mean when he says the natural person? It means, the, the word natural means sukiko. I, I looked it up because you know, I'm a good pastor. Sukiko is a, is a frame of mind that's really only thinking about the physical life in this earth. If you are a sukiko person, what you really only think about care about is how your, your, your life in this earth. You know, how you are, what you do, what you eat, how you dress. Tsukiko is really about 
just being naturally minded. Things that are happening in this world, the what you see, right? That's Sukiko. Like I was, I don't know, I fell into a YouTube rabbit hole, and there's this like, you know, a dermatologist in Korea, and his whole YouTube channel is him flaunting his wealth. He has like 25 cars, and they're all like, in, like he has like three million dollars worth worth of cars. He has like three Ferraris, BMW, like BMWs, Bentleys. He flaunts it. That's one episode, and the other episode is him flaunting his closet, right? He has like seven, eight hundred dollar suits. 300, like, like, you know, $2,000, like, sweaters, he flaunts it. And the next episode is he flaunting his office. That's a sukiko person if there, were, if there ever was one. What, you, what the sukiko person only thinks about is their well-being here on this earth. To such a person, the wisdom of God is foolishness. They're not going to listen. The wisdom of God will be irrelevant. Jesus Christ as a Lord of glory to a sukikomanded person is irrelevant. Do you know? But the spiritually minded person, God reveals it to the spiritually minded person. What is a spiritual minded person? That's a numia. I don't know how to pronounce it. Numina. Numina minded person is a spiritual person, and that person is a person who, 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 are, who, who are receptive to the things of God. If a person is receptive to the things of God, God reveals his mystery, the gospel to him. Whether you're a sukiko-minded person, whether you're a numeric-minded person, that's up to God. But a, a sukiko-minded person, Jesus Christ as a Lord of glory, is irrelevant. Maybe to those of you who are doing ministry, Maybe you are evangelizing to your coworkers. Maybe you are teaching youth group here. Or maybe you're teaching Sunday school here. Paul is telling you, maybe the things that you teach these people are irrelevant to, irrelevant to them because they're sukiko-minded people. And you can, you can present the gospel in the most relevant way possible for, to them. But unless God changes them to numia-minded people, it will always be irrelevant. Therefore, evangelism is foolishness without prayer. I know that kid agrees. I'm really good at presenting the gospel in a very realistic way. I'm really good at it. I've read a lot of Tim Keller, and Tim Keller is my sensei, and I can, I, can, I, can, I, can, I can pick a man off the street, and I can tell them, I can present the gospel to, to make most logical sense of that person. But you know what my experience has been? Like I, I did that. I did the, tried to do the Jedi mind trick with the, my millennial paralegals, and it doesn't work. I go, oh, it worked with you? How come it doesn't work with them? Because they're sukiko-minded people. Is your youth group kids being bored to death your, about your Bible study? Guess what? They're supposed to be. Because they're sukiko-minded people. Not judgment, love them. All of us were sukikos. But sukikon nonetheless. You can't do ministry without prayer because it is God who changes a sukiko minded person to a spiritually minded pe- person. If you're, if, I know, I don't know why I'm harping on youth group, maybe the Holy Spirit. I know there is tiring. 
because they're on there texting all the time. They don't get it, right? It's hard. I know. I have a teenage son. God is not asking you to figure out new ways to make the gospel more relevant to them. He's calling you to pray for them. Same as your children, same as your husband, pray for them. Same as your unbelieving family member, pray for them so that God will transform them into a spiritually minded people so that they will be able to receive the, the, the message of the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Your job, my dear friends, quite simple, I think. It's to just be well, strive to be well by Jesus Christ every day. Strive to be well by him. Through scripture, through small groups, through this, through all this, God, ask God, Holy Spirit, let me be wowed by Jesus Christ as the Lord of glory. When that happens, everything else will fall into place. When Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory, when you're wowed by him, his definition of things, his definition of sexuality, his definition of morality, his definition of what is important, they become yours. The only way that you can live obediently if you, if you, is if to be wowed by him. And if you're wowed by him, you start to see things with his eyes. And when you start to see things with his eyes, you will become obedient to him. Ask every day to be wowed by him. If you're wowed by him, you know what happens to you? You will naturally evangelize. Do you know that? I, I love my sisters here. And a couple of my sisters here and a couple of dudes, they're like coffee evangelists. They just evangelize coffee, and I really appreciate them. Not judgment, I love them. And they are super coffee evangelists because they know the awesomeness of their coffee. Because they have tasted, I don't know, the Brazilian rainforest distilled water coffee, and they need to show it to the world. My wife loves this pianist named Cho Sung-jin. She loves this pianist, and her, she's a Cho Sung-jin evangelist. She uploads his, like, YouTube clips, right? And you got a thousand hits. And YouTube, like, said, you know, complaint, copyright violation. She got an email, copyright violation. Because she's posting his music all the time. Why? Because she knows it's awesome. When you see the awesomeness of Jesus Christ as a Lord of glory, how will you, why, how will you shut your mouth? How would I shut my mouth? Ask God to reveal Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, to you. And ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, to your unbelieving co-workers, to your unbelieving youth group kids, to your unbelieving parents, to your unbelieving everything, anyone around you. That's the call, you know. Let's pray. Do you know, do you have the wisdom of God? Can you see Jesus Christ as the Lord of glory? Do you know the power of him being crucified and being resurrected? Do you see Jesus Christ as the Lord? Are you wowed by it? We sang this morning, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's when we see the kindness of the Lord displayed in Jesus Christ. That's what leads to repentance. Do you see him as the Lord of glory? Are you wowed by him? Let's ask the Holy Spirit for us to be wowed by him. 
The Holy Spirit is the one that reveals such truths to us. It's not PJ, it's not Pastor Ujin, it's not anyone. It is the Holy Spirit using Pastor Ujin and Pastor Jay in the Bible to reveal it to you. But it is the Holy Spirit that does it. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you every morning. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to your unbelieving students. Reveal it to your unbelieving parents, spouses, friends, whomever. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that precious truth to them. Let's pray for these things and we'll continue. Father, we are reminded once again that being called a Christian is a demonstration. The, way, the, way, the reason why we are Christians is because you have demonstrated your awesome power in us. That we're not Christians merely because of the tradition of men, but we become yours because the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son did their mighty work in us. The reason why the gospel is so true, and the reason why the gospel, Father, dictates all parts of our lives is because your Holy Spirit testified that, that it is true. Father, thank you so much for making us yours. Father, we are, it takes a lot of patience to love us. And one of the ways in which we try you, I think, is by constantly forgiving, forgetting the truth, the power that generates change, which is understanding Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. Understanding that Jesus Christ is the full manifestation of God. That his, that his work on the cross is the complete demonstration of your righteousness, justice, and love. That everything points to him. Because we don't see that, Lord, our Christian lives are drudgery, our prayer life are non-existent. Father, it, it, becomes, it becomes such a sad thing. It is our prayer this morning that may your spirit gives us the wisdom of God. May you give us the wisdom to see Jesus Christ as a crucified Lord of glory. May this truth wow us every morning. Maybe while we use the quiet times, use this church, use everything in your disposal to reveal that truth to us. We pray that you reveal such wisdom to our students. If we're youth group teachers or if we're Sunday school teachers, use, Father, reveal your wisdom to these kids. Reveal your wisdom to, your, to our unbelieving friends and family members. Use us, Lord, to reveal your wisdom in this fallen world. Father, I've, I've heard news of your provision and of your grace. I've, men, my brothers who are looking for jobs are having jobs. My brothers and sisters are getting married. That you are providing for them mightily, and that's a great thing. But the greatest provision in our lives is a constant reminder, a testimony of Jesus Christ as a Lord of glory. May that testimony be real and true. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.